Welcome to the New Hope Leeward podcast. Aloha and Merry Christmas, Leeward Online. My name is Josiah Norgan. I'm the senior pastor here at the church. Welcome wherever you may be watching from. We are so glad that you are here. I wanna give a huge shout out to our creative, our worship and our dance teams for that amazing song. And I wanna thank our staff for agreeing against their will yet again uh, to film a rap video with me. You have to understand, uh, since I was a young thug in junior high, I wanted to be a rapper. The problem was I grew up in Hawaii Kai, which doesn't provide you a lot of street cred. Like nobody is repping, you know, 96825, Avava Malu Street Son. My mom packed my lunches. Like, it's just, there's no street cred there, but I always wanted to be a rapper. It was so bad that we weren't even allowed as kids uh, to go to the west side of the island. Like, the furthest we were allowed to go, the, the boundary was the outlet malls. Like, people would te- uh, teach you, don't go past Waikele, because the only thing for you on this side is indeed cracks. I didn't step foot into Waianae until I was about 32 years old. And that is absolutely true. So Westside, thank you so much for loving me. I love being your pastor and I love making a fool of myself for you. Speaking of fools, let's talk about Pastor Art for a moment with his breakdance. Haters will say that it was edited. I showed, I showed these pictures to my wife and she was like, good for him. Like she thought it was real. And when I laughed, she's like, I don't know what he does in his spare time. So that wasn't really pastor art. He did some break dancing, all right. Uh, broke his hip, okay? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. We better get started. Let's get, uh, let's jump in. And today I wanna, I wanna start off in the classic Christmas Eve verses. We're gonna start off in Luke 2. And then we're going to make our way over to Hebrews 4. So if you have your hard copy Bible, you want to open up to those, you can. Luke 2, we know how it begins. A census is called by Caesar Augustus. Now let's skip ahead to verse 4, and we'll read down to verse 7. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea. It's about 80 miles. To Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So I know the nativity scene has been heavily romanticized over the years. We always get this image of this nice, clean, open-air stable, calm animals. There's shepherds there. There's wise men. There's two very well-rested parents. And then there's, of course, baby Jesus. So here's a picture of what the nativity usually looks like. This is usually what we see. But that's not a very accurate description of this scene. I always wonder, what would Mary think if she could see these pictures? Let me kind of paint it for you a little bit, what we have in scripture. So they're in Joseph's hometown, yet there is no room for them. And some commentators think it is because um, of the nature of this pregnancy. Like not everybody would buy the virgin birth story. Joseph didn't even buy it at first until an angel appeared to him. So there's no guest room available. So tired and rejected they go to what would be their last resort. This is not the first place that they started or tried. 
And they end up in a stable, and we only know that because Jesus was placed in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. And if they were indeed in a traditional stable, it'd be more like a cave cut out into the side of a mountain. It would be dark, loud, smelly, and lonely. From the text, you get the image that that Mary is birthing this child on her own. There's no midwife to help her. It even says she wraps him in cloths. She places him in a manger. There's no shepherds there yet. The wise men wouldn't show up till much later. So this is a lonely, lonely scene. And despite nativity pictures, I don't believe that Mary and Joseph are well-rested parents can I get an amen wherever you are? I hear those tired amens. It was not a silent night. All was not calm. All was not bright, okay? If you've, ever been, if you've ever been to a delivery before of a baby, it looks more like a murder scene. Okay, that transitions well into a story. Okay, so I've uh, seen my wife give birth uh, five times. I'm gonna spare the gory details. But with our fourth, uh, she was in labor from Kapolei to Kapiolani. So by the time we got there, the baby was like ready to be born. And so they're hooking her up to machines. They're having her sign stuff all while she is in labor. We had never had a delivery like this before. So I'm kind of standing there like a deer in headlights. And I remember this one nurse kept telling my wife over and over again, you look great, honey, you look great. Sweetie, you look great. And after the fifth time she told my wife, you look great, she high beamed me as if to say, like, idiot, say something, tell your wife she looks great. And all I could think was, she doesn't look great. You know, like, she doesn't look great right now. I don't, I don't want to lie to her. And my, and my wife, if you know anything about her, on the drive home, my wife was even like, why did she keep telling me I look great? That was so irritating. So like, my wife doesn't like fake empty words like that anyway, before you punch me or beat me up in the parking lot. Point is, the nativity probably was not a beautiful scene. It was a dark and lonely place. But even there, something very beautiful was happening. You can write this down if you're taking notes with me. Eternity entered humanity. Eternity entered humanity. Think about how crazy this is, like fitting an elephant into a Prius, the island of Oahu into a shoebox, the universe into a marble One of the most amazing aspects about the Christmas story is God taking on flesh. That although now Jesus will always exist in bodily form, he didn't exist this way eternally before, but rather in this moment at the nativity, he took on flesh. He didn't become less God or lowercase g God. He was 100% God, 100% man. Eternity entered humanity. And we talk about the God aspect a lot when it comes to Jesus, but we don't really talk about the human aspect very much. I think because it is so weird and it kind of makes us a little bit uncomfortable that Jesus did not enter into this world with a sermon. He entered into this world with an infant's cry. He got fussy at times. He drooled on himself. He teethed. He had to learn how to crawl, learn how to walk and talk. He went through puberty. He had B.O. His voice cracked. He'd come into the house all sweaty. Mary's like, oh, get out of here. You know, like, like he was a, a normal kid. He had a normal childhood. If you ever feel like a bad parent, keep in mind 
that Jesus' mom and dad lost him at age 12. Can you imagine losing the son of God? And they find him at the temple asking questions, teaching older men, and everybody is so amazed with his knowledge. So don't get me wrong, there was clearly something special about him, but it's also just amazing that he was also ordinary. Luke 5.52, so after he's age 12, it actually says he grew in wisdom and stature, meaning he grew up like any one of us. He learned carpentry. He studied and progressed. He didn't start his public ministry until age 31. Eternity entered humanity. It's amazing. So what does that mean for us now? What does that mean for us in 2021? Turn with me to Hebrews 4, and I want to start off in verse 14. And I've read these verses before, I've studied them before, but this year they've just absolutely amazed me. So let's start off in verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So in the Old Testament, the high priest would stand in the gap between man and God. And once a year, he would go into the Holy of Holies. He would step into the Father's presence and he would make sacrifices for the sins of the nation. So what the writer is saying here is that Jesus did that, except he ascended into heaven, into the Father's presence to be our sacrifice once and for all. Moving on, verse 15. This is amazing. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus entered, the son entered into the broken human experience and lived it. He didn't walk this earth a stoic, emotionless and distant hearted God. He didn't pretend to have a human experience. He immersed himself in it good experiences, and even the negative ones. I'm gonna rattle through these and I've, I've, I've put where they are in scripture in case you wanna look this up. If you go onto the notes on our app, you can see where these are in scripture. He was born into an impoverished situation, placed in a manger, born in worse conditions than any of us have ever probably been born in. He had a complex family. I love that because we all have very complex families Like I said, not everybody probably bought the virgin birth narrative in Nazareth. He was doubted by his own brothers when he starts out his ministry. He didn't have a home. He says, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He felt compassion for others. We see him, we see his heart actually break for others in scripture in multiple places. He was rejected and despised. The people that shouted, Hosanna, days later, were shouting, crucify him. He was slandered. People said things about him that weren't true. He experienced loss and grieved. We see him weep at the tomb of Lazarus. And many commentators also point out that after age 12, we don't see any mention of Joseph in scripture, only Mary. So it's very possible that he lost his dad at more of an early age. He was betrayed by someone close to him. He knows what betrayal feels like. He was hungry and tired at times. 
He was angry. He got angry at times, mostly with church people. He had prayers that went unanswered. We see that in the Garden of Gethsemane. He experienced emotional, physical, and spiritual pain. And that happened on the cross. Jesus has been through what we've been through and actually much worse. Why? Couldn't he have been born in a palace and sat and ruled on a throne and then it was time at age 33, he could get off and be like, all right, it's time to be crucified. Couldn't he have lived his life that way? Absolutely, but he didn't. Why? Well, the writer of Hebrews points out that the best comfort comes from those who have walked through it before. Look at verse 15 again. This is amazing. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to, look at this, empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus has been through what we've been through, yet he did not sin. And the writer of Hebrews says it's so that he may empathize. In the Greek, the word is sympatheo. Sounds very much like the word sympathy because it is. You can write this down. Jesus is not distant. He is not distant from you. He is not distant from your life. He's not distant from the blessed spaces and he is not distant from the painful ones either. He entered into the hard spaces of humanity so that he may feel alongside you. So think about how amazing this is. When you say, Lord, I'm tired. And I think a lot of us would say that right now. Lord, I'm tired. I'm tired of my job. I'm tired of my life. Some of you might even say, I'm, I'm tired of my family. I'm tired of COVID. I'm tired of things looking like they're gonna get better and they just don't. And Lord, I'm tired. We have a God who doesn't just say it's okay, but we have a God who says, I know. Sympatheo, he can sympathize with us. When you say, Lord, people have hurt me. Those I trusted betrayed me. Those close to me, they used me. We have a God who says, I know. When you and I say, Lord, I've lost somebody that I loved. And it feels like a part of me is missing. And I know that I will see them again, but for now, God, it hurts so much. We have a God who says, my child, I know. When you say, Lord, I have nowhere to lay my head. Lord, my body hurts. Mentally, I am exhausted. I am frustrated. My family is crazy. Lord, I'm scared right now. It feels like everything has fallen apart. I have prayers that I've been praying and they just haven't been answered. Jesus says, I know and I'm here. He can sympathize with us because he has walked through this before. This is a um, strange time that you and I live in right now. It's strange for many reasons, but um, one example is greetings. 
So before COVID, greetings were always really hard to do here in Hawaii. If you live here in Hawaii or you lived here before, you know that there are many options whenever you see somebody. It could be a wave, could be a shaka, could be handshake, could be handshake bring in for the one-handed bro hug, could be side hug, fist bump. If it's the opposite sex, even more confusing. Is it a hug? Is it honey honey? Worst times is when you go for the honey honey and they don't, yeah, and they kind of lean back. COVID, there are even more options now. Do you stand six feet away? Do you just, you don't know where people are. Do you wave? Do you, do you shaka them? Do you fist bump? Do you handshake? I always do this to people. I go to shake their hand. They give me fist bump and then we switch and then we switch again and then we switch until finally I just kind of like junk and pull immerse their hand in mine. Do you hug? Do you do mask on honey honey? Some, some aunties, Grey's Anatomy, yeah, they'll rip it off and they'll mask off honey honey you. You don't know what you're going to get with people. It is a strange time. It's been isolating. It has been very confusing. And I would venture to say the isolation that you've experienced, this confusion, you haven't only experienced it with people, but you've experienced it with God. This confusion, this isolation, for many of you, you haven't only experienced it with people, you have experienced it with God. I know for many of us, this season has not brought us closer to him, but further. It hasn't built up your faith, but rather it has brought it down. It hasn't made you more confident in who you are in Christ, but it has made you more critical of yourself. I know I can sympathize, I can sympathize with you because I have walked through all of that too. We're left in this place right now where we don't really know how to approach each other and, and many of us don't really know how to approach God. So how do you approach God when you've been distant for a while? How do you approach God when maybe you watch online every single week and your body is present but your mind is so distant? How do you approach God when you've just been checking boxes? How do you approach God when you're mad at him? How do you approach God when you've been trying to hide your sin all this time, even though you know he sees every single thing that you do? How do you approach God when you've been running from him for so long? How do you approach God when you're tired and you're frustrated and you're upset? How do you approach God? Wherever you are right now, how do you approach God in this space? Luckily for us, the writer of Hebrews tells us, verse 16, let us then, so because we have this high priest who can sympathize, he can sympathize with us. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Confidence is parousia in the Greek. And whenever you pull out a Greek definition, there's always multiple definitions of one word and it means confidence, it means boldness. But here's my favorite, def, like multi-layered definition that I found about parousia. It is, is a confidence that is cheerfully courageous, free and fearless and unreserved in speech. It's not the image of a subject sheepishly and shamefully approaching the king's throne, watching how they bow, watching how they step, watching every single word, worried that they are going to get it wrong and wondering how they're going to be received and treated. 
This verse doesn't give you the image of a subject, but it gives you the image of a son. A child running toward the arms of their father. When I get home from work and I open my garage, I have a very loud garage. I think I have the loudest one in my entire neighborhood. And when I open it, you can hear it everywhere in the house. If nothing is good on TV, so my kids don't always come out to greet me. I'm not father of the year. But if nothing's good on TV, my kids will come out to greet me. And the way that they do, they will open the door from the inside of the garage as the garage is still going up and they will start sprinting toward me. And if they see that my hands are full, many times they are. I have like food for the family. I have my work bag. I got my water, my coffee. They will sprint towards me without stopping because they know that by the time they get to me, I will have laid everything aside for my arms to be open wide to them. I got a four-year-old and a five-year-old. Sometimes there'll be chocolate on their face or hands. They don't care what kind of shirt I'm wearing. They will run at me with everything they have. This is how you and I are called to approach the throne like a child running to their father, knowing that they will not be turned away. Unbothered and unrestrained, familiar and hopeful, excited and eccentric, sloppy and wild, cheerfully courageous, free and fearless, unreserved in speech. Let me ask you a question, and I hope it feels like I am talking through a screen directly to your heart right now. Do you approach God this way? Do you approach God this way? I can say that sometimes I don't. See, the reality is many times our, our disposition when approaching the throne, it is based on our performance. And how can it not be? It's the way that we were raised. Even if we were raised in a good home, we were taught if you're good tonight, you're gonna get ice cream. If you're not, well, you're not gonna get anything. Even old Saint Nick, man, he wants to bring us all gifts, but he's got a list and he's gonna check it two different times to make sure you've been okay. And if you've performed well, well, then he's gonna bring you gifts. And if not, well, then you get cold. I remember as a kid, literally standing by my window and trying to look behind myself really quick because I thought, literally thought that Santa was leaning over and like looking into my window and watching me. And those of us that grew up in church, again, if we grew up in a good family like I did, we begin to have that complex relationship with Jesus. He's this guy that's always watching us and making sure that we're doing what we're supposed to. I've been conditioned to see the throne through the lens of my performance, and so have you. So it's a throne of grace if I'm doing okay. But if not, then it's a throne of judgment. And can I tell you this, friends? In the moment that we stand right now, yes, one day it will be a throne of judgment. Absolutely. But where you and I stand right now, it's always a throne of grace. Look at verse 16 again. We'll read the rest of it. We'll start off with the part that we started with already. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Okay, so mercy and grace. 
Mercy is not getting what we deserve. It's like you're late to work and your boss doesn't fire you. That is mercy. So when we approach the throne, we receive mercy. It's just something we need to be open to. We don't get the punishment that our sin deserves. Why? Because that punishment was poured out on Christ at the cross. And I feel like I was thinking about this. You and I as Christians, I think we really have an easy time understanding mercy. We have college degrees in mercy, but when it comes to grace, we are still in preschool. We don't even know our ABCs. Mercy is easy to understand. We can understand a God who overlooks our sin. We can understand a God who can tolerate us, a God who can maybe give us a half-hearted hug from the throne. We don't, he doesn't want us kind of messing up his robe, but he'll kind of receive us back. You and I have an easy time understanding a God who can choose to love us, but we do not understand grace. If mercy is your boss not firing you for being late, mercy is, is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. So if mercy is not getting fired because you're late, then grace is your boss giving you a raise and a promotion despite being late. We don't understand grace, and I know it because of the way you and I often approach the throne. But here's the reality, and here's what we are celebrating together this week. You can write this down. He became like us to save us. The nativity is, is basically grace in motion. See, God didn't give you a half-hearted hug from the throne. Rather, he stepped off of it and took on flesh, starting like you and I, as a defenseless baby, walked through and even sat in the broken human experience. He's not distant from your pain. He can sympathize with you, sympathize with you because he has walked through it. He knows. He went through all the trials and heartache. He went through it and he performed perfectly. The writer of Hebrews said he, he did not sin, not even one time. He performed perfectly only to be punished for those that would never be able to walk perfectly, you and I. He walked perfectly only to be punished for those that would never be able to walk perfectly. He paid my debt and he paid yours completely, not a penny left, not so that he may just overlook my life, because that's mercy, not just overlook my life, but give me new life. I realized it today that the verse says, so that we may receive mercy and that we may find grace, as if grace is something to be discovered, as if grace is something that you and I don't fully yet understand, the undeserved, unmerited favor of God. And I will tell you with all confidence and all genuineness in my heart that I do not yet fully understand his grace, that I will sometimes approach the throne with my head down and his throne is based on how good I've been that week. Friends, it's a throne of grace. And if you feel like you got a lot of sin, well, the book of James, it says, but he gives more grace. 
And if you feel like you've been gone for a while, well, then you know what? He gives more grace. And if you've been running from him, can I tell you, he has always more grace. You can't outrun him, so why would you even try? What is left for us to do but approach the throne of grace with confidence? Like a child running to their father, would you run cheerfully courageous, free and fearless, unreserved in speech, knowing that your father's arms are open wide to you and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Church family, I wanna walk you through it. Grace is not something to just be taught and understood. It is something that must be experienced. And so there are many of you that are watching right now, you're all in different places. So there are some of you that you're already crying because you're like, man, he's been talking to me the entire time. That's the Lord, that's not me. Can I tell you, it's time to come home. There's some of you that you've just been kind of going through this year and you felt numb and it feels like a blur. And can I tell you, it is time to come home. Some of you have been running for a very long time and you're tired. And can I tell you, that is where the gospel often begins. It is the moment that we are tired and we cannot run on our own anymore. It is time to come home. Some of you have never put your faith in Christ before. It's time to come home. Some of you did a long time ago. It's time to come home. You already know who you are. And so would you bow your heads with me? And if you're in the room with other people, you can repeat these words just in your heart. But if you're by yourself, would you say them out loud? or if you're not ashamed, or if you're together in a room and you're all feeling it right now, would you say it together nice and loud wherever you are? Repeat this after me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner in need of a savior. Come into my heart and into my life. Change me however you want. Be my Lord, be my Savior, and thank you, Lord, for your grace. If you prayed that prayer with me, even where you said it in your heart or you said it out loud, can I just tell you that you're, you're saved? You may feel like, oh, there's other steps I gotta do. No, you're saved. You don't need to say this prayer with me in a month. But if you fail tomorrow, that's okay. You repent again and understand that you're saved. Nothing can separate you from his love. And can I tell you, it's not this prayer that did it. It's your faith in Christ. And so can you do this for me? And I'll, I'll, I'll pray, us, pray us out one more time, but I wanna say it because it's so, so important. Can, can you do me a favor and can you text? If, if you said that prayer, can you just click the I have decided button? Or can you text welcome home to this number that's right on the screen? Can you just text us and let us know that you made that decision today? And what's gonna happen is our team is actually going to mail you a gift. And if you're with your kids right now and they said that prayer, go ahead and ask them. If they say no, that's totally fine. But if they did, can you let us know, fill out the form for them because our team will send them a gift. Our New Hope Kids team will send them a gift. You know how exciting it is to get mail as a kid? We wanna celebrate this with you. We wanna celebrate this with them. 
that God can meet you even in your living room, in your car, wherever you are right now, God can meet you anywhere. And I know for some of you, he has. I know for many of you, he has. And so let me just pray this out today. Lord God, I thank you so much for those that made that decision. God, we thank you for your grace and we thank you that tomorrow and the next day and the next day, it will always be a throne of grace. And so God, would we approach you with confidence? Would we feel a newfound hope that this faith that is not all on us, we cannot do it on our own, Jesus. We need you every single step, every single moment. We thank you for not waiting for us to get it together, but we thank you for coming to earth as a little baby, living a sinless life, dying for our sin and rising again so that we may have new life with you forever. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your matchless and holy name. Amen. We hope you were blessed by this weekend's sermon. If this is your first time joining us, we welcome you to check out our website, newhopeleeward.org, to learn more about us and how you can get connected into our ohana. We hope you'll join us again soon.